0: Defiant Spirit, I'm Baruch Lebi, also known as B, and I just want to thank you for tuning in and joining me as we discuss today uh, my teacher and mentor, Dr. Victor Frankl, who I talk about quite often, because I absolutely adore and admire not only this man's teachings, logotherapy, logos means meaning, we'll talk about that, but also his example. You know, I've studied for the past 25 years, different traditions, I'm a rabbi by training, studied lots of Kabbalah, lots of Jewish philosophy, but also um, Buddhist teachers. I've gone through some periods of Buddhist exploration, still am a practitioner of Buddhist mindfulness meditation practice, uh, yoga and many Hindu masters. Certainly um, some, some Christian mystics, um, one of my sort of most profound teachers has been Father Richard Rohr. Uh, new agey types, Wayne Dyer, uh, positive psychology, Martin Seligman. The list goes on. I mean, these are just great individuals and inspirational figures. However, nobody has touched me like Dr. Viktor Frankl, not only because I wholeheartedly believe in his school of psychotherapy. It's why I chose to be a logotherapist and not a Jungian psychotherapist. I love Carl Jung, by the way, and I love so much of what um, Jungian psychotherapy is about. But, But Dr. Frankel's vision, I think, is so apropos to modernity, to what we need, to who we are. And most of all, I admire him because he walked his talk. I mean, this was a man who lost seemingly everything his his wife who was pregnant with their first child and his parents and his brother and his family and his friends his community his profession everything eradicated in the holocaust living through four different concentration camps auschwitz and uh, dachau and turkheim and i think trezen but it doesn't matter they're all hell And yet not only survived, but but truly lived and transformed, as he would call it, tragedy into triumph. That's why I I absolutely not only admire this man, but I'm so committed to his teachings. And it's why my good friend and fellow logotherapists, Dr. Daniel Franz and Dr. Elise Cortez and I are starting the Viktor Frankl Meaning Academy. So I'm just so excited about that. And I'll certainly tell you more about that in the coming days. So I'll continue to teach the Defiant Spirit, which is my coaching counseling practice. And I use the Enneagram based on the work of Viktor Frankl, really seeing it through the lens of Frankl. And I call it Defy Your Number. I'll keep on doing that. And simultaneously, we'll be be building the um, Viktor Frankl Meaning Academy together, and it will be a place of all things meaning, purpose, and resilience. So I want to just share with you a topic that I've talked about before, I'll return to again and again and again. I have had a couple times when people have sort of emailed me or spoken to me in passing or whatever, and they say, you know, like, you come back to the same topic sometimes multiple times, and the truth is... We all do. We all come back to the same handful of things. I've counseled thousands and thousands of people over the past 20, 25 years. I, I think there's like a about, on you can count them on two hands, the actual topics. Now, they you know, manifest in 10,000 ways, but they are five or 10 core fundamental issues we all face. I don't think we need to be novel. I think we need to be um methodical i think we need to be committed devoted to facing these human challenges i call them life's teas transitions tests trials traumas tragedies that's all we do that's all we face all day every day it doesn't mean there's not mountaintop moments of you know pure ecstasy and joy there are and it doesn't mean it's only the valleys of the shadow of death Um, they're not. But most of our life really hinges around those two things. Yeah, we live in the mundane, we live in the day-to-day sort of status quo, and we can navigate that. But what happens when you hit the highs, what happens when you hit the lows, really defines us, reveals us, I guess, more than anything else. And that's where I like to meet people, when they're I mean, the highs, you don't really need me. Like when I was a rabbi and I did weddings, nobody really needs a rabbi or a minister. Uh, Maybe you do as a minister. I don't know. But in the Jewish tradition, you can have just two witnesses to witness your journey um, into marriage. You don't need a rabbi. And it always felt that way. I always felt like, you know, okay, the mother of the bride would say, okay, you have the ice sculpture, you know, carver. Yes. Check. Do you have the bartender? Check. Did you get the rabbi? Check. And I sort of felt down there. (laughs) um right after the bartender so it's fine i'm a big boy i can handle it but um but but funerals right but but tragedies like we all need a guide we all need support and direction and so it's the valleys that we desperately need somebody and so i i oftentimes meet people in the valleys of the shadow of death or in transitions and midlife and onwards empty nest or um Struggling marriages, seemingly dead marriages, struggles uh, are on the other side of that with divorce, um, struggle with parenting, uh, facing illness, depression, diagnoses that, you know, don't look good, that aren't good. I mean, there's the list goes on and on. It's not the only place I meet people, but I do best with people who are what I call, or what Kabbalah calls, in the shattering. Or on the other side of shattering because um, unless somebody has been shattered, it's very hard. There's the rare individual who can proactively seek out meaning in life. I mean, yes, we think we do. We think we are. I thought I was for, you know, 10 years of my life. And it wasn't until my father killed himself that I really, my heart was shattered into a million pieces. Uh, I was humbled. I was um, hungry for answers, for meaning, for purpose, for direction. I would have said I was before that. For the previous 15 years prior, I would have thought I was. But I, w- I was going through the motions. I was doing meditation. I was doing prayer. I wasn't on my knees crying out to God or or in the midst, uh, you know, in the middle of the night sitting in the darkness, trying to breathe my way through a panic attack, anxiety. A- and so I really respect Frankel because his um philosophy and his psychology was he created it prior to the holocaust he was a logotherapist he created logotherapy he was a, he was a psychiatrist a neurologist but he created logotherapy prior to the holocaust but it was born out it was it was proven out in the holocaust and that's why i love it so much a because it is true and it works and b because it's not the darker of the um, psychotherapies. You know, you study Jungian psychotherapy and it's about going inwards, going downwards, going into the depths of the darkness. Frankl's is about ascending out of the darkness. It doesn't deny it. It doesn't deny the suffering, the shadows of life at all. It takes them and it transmutes them. It transforms them from tragedy to triumph. Whereas um, he referred to Jungian psychotherapy as depth psychology, going into the depths. He and others referred to logotherapy as height psychology, aspiring, ascending to the heights. And I respect Frankl so much because it's not like, with all due respect to um, positive psychology, it's not like it was born out on Harvard campus in the late uh, previous century. It was born out in the depths of hell in in the Holocaust again. So But it doesn't remain there. It doesn't sit in it. He doesn't stay in the darkness. And and I just love that about both him and his tradition. And so I want to talk a little bit about in this podcast, and I think I'll do a probably two or more part series on this, suffering. What do we do with suffering? Because if you follow my Enneagram podcast, you'll have heard me say, we live in an Enneagram three, the achiever, or seven, the enthusiast culture. We do it is undeniable i mean at least in america i've lived only in really two places israel and america i would say israel's is either a 6 or an 8 they're a, um, a loyalist which is more kind of a loyal skeptic or 8 the challenger a little more tougher types whereas 3 and 7 are, are a little more light um superficial types now does not superficial isn't always bad like mean, Staying at the surface is where we go to get things done. And the three is the achiever. They're efficient. They're they're successful. Think of most sports athletes. Um, I guess that's redundant, sports athletes. Think about most athletes. And they, or, you know, CEOs or whatever. People just who are successful. But it's outward and you have to really work to go deep. So I think America was a three culture. I think of like the IBM, IBM man of the fifties and sixties. But we've, we've made the move, I think towards seven, which is the enthusiast on the other side of the Enneagram because sevens are still driven, but it's much more of a have fun, um, avoid the suffering, avoid the darker things, spiritual bypass, lots of new age stuff is seven. And so you hear about new ageism and it's a it's oftentimes very flimsy it's oftentimes only wanting to deal with the, the peaks with the, the mountaintop moments and steering clear of the negative stuff the darker stuff when you're experiencing the darker stuff you know you go back to um, the um, what was that movie called that not you know about manifesting I forget what it was called I should know it because um, my father watched it like 50 times before he killed himself but um, the secret I hate. I hated the secret. I hate the secret because what it does is it says if you're experiencing anything dark or negative, it's first of all it's your fault because you weren't positive enough, you didn't manifest the right things, and second of all, you can transform um, not the darkness into light or transform tragedy into triumph, but you can just bypass it. That's the word I'm looking for, and go around it by good thoughts, good thinking, and, um, and and creating a vision board and holding to it. Now, I have vision boards. I'm looking at one. But that's not a substitute for um, facing the suffering, facing the darkness, whatever you are facing, and moving through it, working through it, uh, going through it. And so any uh, the Enneagram 7, if they're not careful, They can do the work. They can wake up. Like, for instance, Vladimir Zelensky, I think, is a seven. Jim Carrey, those are my favorite sevens. And these are really deep, serious leaders and people. But they had to grow up. So our culture is very seven-ish, even if we're not sevens. And that, again, means not wanting to deal with the darker stuff and move through it or work through it or stand your ground, which is why I don't ever work with sevens in my counseling work um, until they've had a shattering, until they've gone through a divorce or Uh, loss of a loved one, oftentimes with guys, male sevens, it's um, the death of their father. And um, they just, they know it's time. It's now or never. So facing the suffering, we all can do it. It's not not an Enneagram talking. It's not about your Enneagram type. It just means each of us are built differently to all of us, probably to different degrees to avoiding suffering. Uh, Ernest Becker called it the denial of death, driving us. In every single way, shape, and form, but we just don't realize it. And so, how much of our lives—our, our, our Amazon habits, our eating habits, our, um, you know, sexual habits, our addictions of all kinds—how much of them are because we're not facing our suffering, facing our struggles, our darkness, most all. And that's the starting point to stop running, or I called it avoidance, a void dance, a dance around the void. How many people do the void dance after the death of a loved one? I wrote a whole book on it called Spark Seekers. I saw it, 500 funerals. I saw it over and over and over. People doing the void dance. Anything, everything, but facing the void. Even the mourning process was the void dance. You know, cooking and getting your house ready after your loved one dies so you can sit shiva or before the funeral um, in the christian tradition having a wake i saw over and over again that that was going through the motions of mourning but it wasn't mourning so we all do the void dance avoidance and the only way to become truly powerful to take back our power i'm not talking about bullshit power of you know bank accounts and um Right, whatever, physical power, talking about what Frankl strove, strove, is that a word, strove for? Um, longed for worked towards in his own life and taught others how to do which is personal power not Tony Robbins personal power but in the Holocaust when everything is stripped from you you're stripped down to what he called your naked existence what is left what do you have you have you you the nuos, you the spirit you the defiant power of the human spirit that is yours and yours alone it is in there it is in you And when suffering comes, it presents to you an opportunity, perhaps like no other. Now, let me make this clear. There are many pathways to discovering this within us, this defiant power of the human spirit. And you can experience it on the mountaintop moments, in the joyous moments. Frankl said that there are three primary pathways to get to this place, this space, this this aliveness, and one is through creative acts, creating things, cont- contribution. One is through experience, experiencing a beautiful sunset, or um, you know, looking at your grandchild and their little pinky toe um, when they're a newborn. I mean, there's those are moments of like you can just feel the the. The spirit, the the logos, the meaning, the essence of life, no matter what you call it, you know it when you're in it. And when you're in it, that is who you are. It's why you're here. You just um, oftentimes don't think about finding it in the valleys. And this is, where I believe, for Frankel's greatest contribution, and really where I'm focused, is when you are in the struggles, when, even the mundane, even when it's, you know, not a, um, you know, extreme darkness, but just going through the mundane and not feeling your life, not feeling your purpose, or or as he talks about, and I talk about a lot, not knowing or living your why. I work with people all day, every day, and this is the number one thing. What's my why? Why am I here? What is my purpose? And so I help people get into that by going through the struggle, going through the impediments, going through the darkness, to discover it, especially in those places. It is not only in those places, but it is especially in those places, or at least we're most motivated to go into it and to find it. Or maybe we just need it the most in those moments, right? No atheists and foxholes. And so going into the struggle, the the life's tease, whatever they are, and finding the, the logos, finding your meaning, finding your purpose, and it's yours and yours alone. There aren't Uh, There isn't one logos, one meaning for everybody. Yours is yours. I can't find it for you, but I can support you on your journey into it. And so what we're talking about today is going through the struggle, the darkness. And the next one I want to talk about supporting other people. You don't have to be trained. You don't have to be a logotherapist to support. We all do this with our spouse, with our children, our parents, our friends, our family, whatever. And so we're going to look at today, again, continuing on this idea of going into the darkness or into the struggle or into the mundane, into the ordinary, into the boredom and finding our struggle within there in particular. And then the next one will be supporting people. Now, you don't find meaning. You don't find your purpose when you just fuck up your life, when you um, try and, you know, you inflict suffering, you create the drama, you create the suffering so that you can find meaning in it. That's just masochism. That's just stupidity. We all do it, by the way, many different ways. How much of our suffering comes from self-inflicted wounds, um, self-unnecessary, gratuitous drama? Too much. That You can't find meaning in that right? That is mutually exclusive. It's like you're canceling out. It's like, it's like, I don't know, stupid analogy. It's like um, eating, I always thought about this, but like, what if you could walk on a treadmill and calculate the exact amount of calories you're burning, which you can, and then ingest that same amount, you know, like in Girl Scout cookies, right? Like it's mutually exclusive canceling. It's just stupidity, but I have thought about that a few times and um that's sort of what i think of you know in a lighter capacity when it comes to self-inflicted suffering to find meaning right it's it's canceling and it doesn't work so um so the bottom line is it's about the suffering of the darkness that is inflicted upon us that comes that victimizes us you don't have to go looking for it you know this we all know this it comes and it finds us we're all victimized at times by life but we don't have to remain lost we don't have to remain as victims within it i mean this is the greatness of Frankel's work i think this is why people continue to turn to him in all kinds of genres because he reminds us that even in the most dire of circumstances to be victimized is not a choice to be a victim to take up residence as dr edith eager says and live in the victimhood, that's your choice. And you don't have to stay there. You can ascend out of it, but you have to go into it and face it. And so really in our society, rethinking the role of, you can call it darkness, you can call it struggle, you can call it suffering. It doesn't matter what you call it. Nobody is a linguist when you're in the shit of life. You're just in it knee deep and you want out of it. So how do you get out of it? You don't. You move through it. I think of my favorite passage in the Torah, my favorite, 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 at least my top five, is the transformation of Jacob. If you remember Jacob? He was um, the grandson of Abraham, and he becomes the namesake of the Jewish people and the Jewish homeland, Israel, because he has a dark night of the soul. He is. It says he has left Levado, Um Alone, it's a profound word, this "livado." It's not just alone. It's the same word used when God creates Adam and Adam is "livado." Well, he says it's lo heo dot adam levado. It is not good for a person to be lonely. It's loneliness, this broken, dark, lonely, isolated place. And yet, that's where we meet Jacob's transformation because he's lonely. Where is he? In the darkness. Jacob's always in the darkness. His major transformations come in the darkness. He's duped in the darkness and he ends up marrying Leah and not Rachel. He's, he's got the Jacob's Ladder, right? He climbs to or sees the angels coming down and up the ladder when he has a dream in the darkness. He has his wrestling match in the darkness. Who's he wrestling in this moment when it says he's, he's in this existential loneliness or as Frank will call it the existential vacuum, this emptiness. He's wrestling with the angel. What's the angel? Malach in Hebrew is a messenger. It's, it could be, some say it's his brother Esau, and they had a pre-meeting uh, wrestling match. Some say it's uh, the divine God himself. Some say it's um, his conscience. I, I don't know what it is. All I know is that Jacob makes his stand. He stops running. Because remember, when we met him, he was running away from his home, his brother Esau, his parents. He's running, he's running, he's running away from his suffering this was a boy who didn't want to grow up enneagram sevens by the way i always talk about it they're like peter pan the boy who doesn't want to grow up or the girl never living in never never land with the lost boys everybody else in the real world is passing peter pan wendy and the kids they're growing up but this is a boy who doesn't want to face the struggles of life so peter pan the transformational moment comes when he's in wendy's bedroom and he's flying around, and he's wrestling with his um, his shadow. He's he's trying to grab it, and he finally grabs it, and he's knocking things down. And he's trying to stick it on to his um, foot because his he lost his shadow, and he's using soap, and he's trying to put it on. And Wendy basically says, "Silly boy, you can't you know use soap. You got to sew on your shadow. That's what we all have to do. We all have to." face the shadows, our shadow, to own it, to face it, to embrace it, to transform it. And that's the transformative experience of the journey, the search for meaning. When we go into our shadows, when we stop running, when we make our stand, when we say enough is enough, I would rather fail or die Facing this struggle, facing what I've been running from my whole life rather than to keep on running. Because if you keep on running, the shadows don't go away. The struggles just go underground and they become more corrosive. They, uh, It becomes deferred maintenance and it gets harder and harder. Dealing with the same shit at 50 is way harder than dealing with it at 20 because it's compound suffering. It's compound interest, right? It just grows and it grows and it grows. And so... Wherever you are in life, wherever we are, our work is to make our stand to face whatever you fill in the blank of whatever that shadow, whatever that suffering, whatever that darkness might be, and to stop seeing it as a negative, as a liability. And that's the point of this particular talk. That's the point of Frankel's work. What happens when we stop seeing it as an impediment, as a detour? as a setback, as something that's not supposed to be. I think one of our biggest challenges in our society, especially you know the whippersnappers, the younger generation, but all of us, is we, we were born in a blip in time in human history where suffering has been minimized. Don't believe the hype of the newspapers and what you hear going on reported every moment you flip on your phone flip on a little antiquated when you turn on your phone why because it's just hyper focused on the problems we've never lived in a time safer in human history bar none I am so sick and tired of people talking about how it's never been more dangerous to be alive that is absolutely factually untrue across the board that is a total disregard of human history it is, and it has never been safer. It has never been easier to live as it is today. So when the shit hits the fan, when something goes wrong, we think that this is, a, this is an anomaly. It shouldn't be this way. Well, what do you mean it shouldn't be this way? We're all living on a rock in outer space, as I always say, flying around a hot ball of fire that's going to burn out eventually. And we're all going to die. Like this, the plane's going down, folks. So what do you mean it's not supposed to be this way? Ain't none of us getting out of this without suffering after suffering after suffering. And if we live with this mindset that it shouldn't be this way, then all we do is survive the sufferings. What Frankl taught his greatness was that what happens when suffering is the pathway and it presents presents to us the opportunity. Was it Nietzsche? Somebody said circumstances don't make a man they reveal him or her circumstances reveal us suffering reveals us reveals who we are we have an opportunity when we are experienced suffering to either see it as something to be survived something to be avoided something to be gotten through around go around or we make our stand we face it we embrace it we move through it as our opportunity to become Jacob to Israel. Remember that moment. He's transformed back in the desert. Why? Because he won't let go of the shadow of the of his of Peter Pan's shadow of of what he's working through. He won't let go. He says, "Until you bless me, you shadow, you messenger, whatever you are." And what is the message that's given to him? Your name is no longer Yaakov. Yaakov Jacob means the heel because he was holding on to his brother's heel coming out of the womb, like. He was defined by his fears. He was defined by what he's not. He was defined by his shadows. And then he becomes Yisrael. What is Yisrael? Israel. What is Israel? Those who struggle with, with angels and with God and with everything in between. Or with man and with God and with everything in between. But tuchol, and, and And prevail and are able. And so Israel means to transform tragedy into triumph. It means to turn darkness into light. Which, by the way is people ask me, you know, what is what is the Jewish mission? It's to transform darkness into light. That's why all Jewish holidays begin in darkness at nighttime. And we light candles. We defy the darkness. And this isn't just for Jews. This isn't a Jewish conversation because um, the Jewish people brought the Torah to the world. Christians brought the Torah. Torah throughout the world. And regardless, if we're an atheist, it doesn't matter because our mission, we know it, we intuit it from the very moment we are conscious that we are here to transform tragedy into triumph, to turn darkness into light, whoever, whatever way we deem that fit. But that comes from when we make our stand like Jacob, when we face the suffering, when we embrace the suffering. No, not when we go looking for it. But again, we don't have to. It comes to us. And rethinking our relationship with suffering. I believe it starts there. When we stop seeing it as a punishment from God, because I don't believe that in a second. I don't believe in a God that says, here you go, here's a little divorce. Oh, here you go. You need uh, some death in your life. I think the game is the game. The The ballpark is the ballpark, right? The rules are the rules. And we are, you know, we're not getting out of this alive. I, uh, we can talk about that another time. I don't think that's a punishment. In many ways i think it's a blessing we'll talk about that later but suffering is the same thing it's a blessing now how can i say it's a blessing because i don't mean it's a blessing as in ah oh, isn't that nice i mean blessing in the deepest sense of the word my my hebrew name and my english name baruch baruch means blessing if some of you know the beginning of a jewish blessing baruch atah Adonai, blessed are you god but it's not the appropriate translation Um, It comes from Berkayim, which is knees, and it's um, the camel brought to its knees in the desert after traveling, after navigating, surviving, and and, and getting rest, right, humbled, and, and drinking, and then standing up, getting off those knees, and moving forward again. What brings you? In awe, in humility, in suffering, what reduces you to your knees? And what do you find when you're on your knees, when you're desperate? That's That defiant power of the human spirit, that's bracha, that's blessing, that's yours and yours alone. And where do you find that? When you're reduced, when you're brought to your knees, when you're brought to the brink and you don't succumb. You don't take your life. You don't leave prematurely. You don't abandon yourself or your loved ones, but you make your stand, your defiant stand in it. Um, That's that's what we're talking about. And that's how you begin to transform tragedy into triumph by making your stand, facing, embracing your suffering and seeing it not as a liability, but as an opportunity. Not one you want, not one you want, but one you got either it's meaningless or it's meaningful either you're a victim or you're a victor you like that you're a, you're more than a survivor you're a thriver we don't have a word for thriver like survivor thriver so i call it victor v-i-k-t-t-r i love that from victim to victor and so we all have a victor within us we all are here for that purpose I'm going to pause there. We'll do maybe a three-part series, and I'll talk more the next time about the nature of transforming tragedy into triumph. And then I certainly want to do a podcast on supporting others going through it. But that's what I do. If, if this interests you, if it's um, anything that is applicable to you, which it's applicable to all of us, reach out to me. I would love to hear from you. I'm taking on some more clients. I'm really trying to keep my client, my one-on-one client, um, Work to a sort of a maximum of X amount. I'm trying to figure out what that is right now, but I I do have room for a couple more. And I'm focusing on the Meaning Academy and bringing programs to a larger scale. So stay tuned for that. But if you'd like to talk about what it would mean to work together um, using this philosophy and also using the Enneagram, just shoot me an email B A R U C H at my soul centered org Or actually, I have a new email, um, B-A-R-U-C-H at org Either one will get to me. So shoot me an email. We can talk about, you know, complimentary discovery call. Um, learn, you know, about each other. I can learn about you and how to best support you. And if not me, then I'll get you on to your next step of the destination, my gift to you. So with that... Defy your number, live your spirit, and I will see you or talk to you in the next. Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit podcast with me, your host, Dr. Baruch Halevi. The Defiant Spirit is an offering of Soul Center, a center for spirituality, meaning, and healing. And if you'd like to learn more about the Defiant Spirit or Soul Center, get more inspirational content, access to a variety of online programs, or see how we might work together to discover deeper meaning in your life, greater purpose for your life or live the defiant spirit power within your life, visit defiantspirit.org. Until then, keep living your defiant spirit.